Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. wouldn't mind to take your Bible once again and turn with me to the Old Testament book of Exodus. The book of Exodus and chapter number 17. The book of Exodus and chapter number 17. We're continuing with our series of the life and ministry of Moses, observing the children of Israel as they cross the wilderness for these 40 years. As we left off this morning, we could see that once again the people had the opportunity to trust the Lord But they did not. And they murmured and they complained. And yet God still provided for them. And what are we a wonderful, patient, long-suffering God that we have. And as we continue through chapter 17, we could see another event that occurs early on during the wilderness wanderings. And notice with me as we pick it up in the book of Exodus chapter 17. The book of Exodus chapter 17. And notice with me in verse number 8. Exodus 17 in verse 8, the Bible says this, Then came Amalek and fought with Israel in Rephidim. And Moses said unto Joshua, Choose us out men and go out and fight with Amalek. And tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses said unto him. And fought with Amalek and Moses, Aaron and Hur, and went to the top of the hill. And it came to pass when Moses held his hand up, Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands were heavy. And they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat thereon. And Aaron and Hur stayed up on his hands one on the one side and the other on the other side. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua discomfited Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. And the Lord said unto Moses, Write this for a memorial in a book, and rehearse it in the ears of Joshua, for I will utterly put out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven." And Moses built an altar and called the name of it Jehovah Nisi. For he said, because the Lord had swore that the Lord will, go to, will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase, a name of God that is found in the book of Exodus in chapter number 17. The book of Exodus chapter number 17 and notice the name of God in verse number 15. It's the name of God, Jehovah Nisi. Jehovah Nisi, which is the idea, the Lord is my banner. The Lord is my banner. And with the Lord's help, I'd like to preach to you on the name of God here, that Jehovah Nisi, the Lord, our banner. The Lord, our banner, Jehovah Nisi. And if you wouldn't mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much again for you being a wonderful God. And not only just a wonderful God, but a God who wins the battle for us. The God who loves us so supremely. The God who will never forsake us nor leave us. The God who is already 
desiring to answer our prayers. We're asking as we study this portion of scripture that you would open it up. And not only is it a historical passage, but Lord, it also teaches us so much about you and so much about the ministry. We're asking that you would give us spiritual eyes that we may see. Again, you fill me with your Holy Spirit so that you could get your work accomplished today and draw us closer because of the love of God. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we now come to this event, the people of Israel have not had to face an enemy ever since Pharaoh. And remember, it was Pharaoh that a God that fought the battle for them. That they didn't have to lift a single finger to fight against Pharaoh and his army. But now they've come into a Canaanite tribe who has come, who is going to start to plague them and to start to bother them. And these would be the Amalekites. And as we start with this, we want to see this idea here of the battle. We want to start off with the battle. Now, the Hebrew people are traveling to Mount Sinai. They've arrived up there. God has already supplied water. And now a group of people called the Amalekites come to bother them. Notice with me, if you don't mind, in verse number 8. Then came Amalek and fought with Israel in Rephidim. So what we have here is a tribe that is going to plague the people all the way throughout the Old Testament history. That whenever you see... The Israel has historically had several enemies. They would have the enemies that would be surrounding them on the other side of the Jordan. Whether it was Edom, whether it was Moab, whether it was the Ammonites. We could see these eternal um, um, enemies. You could see the Philistines who were on their coast that was often battling them. But then you would also have the Amalekites who were another age-old historical enemy. And you could see the Amalekites pop up over and over and over. When you see King Saul who was ordered by God to wipe out the Amalekites. Of course he disobeyed. You even see the Amalekites pop in all the way in the book of Esther. If you were to trace Haman's lineage, you would see he was an Amalekite. And so these are an age-old historical enemy, and this is their first clash, their first meeting, and immediately these Amalekites already sense that these people, these wandering nomads, are easy prey, at least in their minds. They have no cities, they're just wandering around. Let's go ahead and just um, plunder them. And they run into that these are not just tra people traveling by themselves. But they have a God who's fighting the battle for them. And so as they have the Amalekites that come and are declaring war, notice as it goes on in verse number 9. And Moses said unto Joshua, Choose us out men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with a rod of God in my hand. So Moses goes to Joshua and says, Joshua, you go ahead and pick out some soldiers and you go fight the battle. Well, where are you going to be at? Well, some people would say, how come Moses is not leading in the fight? Well, if I can remind you, he's 80 years old. You don't necessarily want an 80-year-old guy who's leading the general charge against the Amalekites. But in fact, what he is doing is more important than Joshua's leadership. What is Moses' job? To pray. To pray. You know, we forget that so often in the battle of the Lord. We forget the most, most powerful piece of warfare is prayer. We like to fight the battle ourselves. We like to get in the trenches. We like to get our hands dirty. We like to take people by the shoulders and shake them. 
But it doesn't work out that way. It is prayer that wins the battle. Now we understand Joshua is necessary. He has an important job. But the work of God is not done in the battlefield. It's done on the hilltop with Moses. Notice what occurs. So Joshua did as Moses had said to him and fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. So Joshua's fighting against the Amalekites. You have Moses, but he's not alone. He has Aaron and he has Ur. Now notice what happens. Verse number 11. And it came to pass when Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. So here they are. They're, they're up on the hill. Moses has the rod of God and his job is to pray and to hold that rod up. And as long as he held that rod up, guess what? God's side is winning. This is still representative of prayer. Now you think about it and you say, well, that's not a hard job at all. Well, I'm so glad you said that. If you wouldn't mind, I'd like you to take your Bibles and I want you to hold it over your head. All right? Come on. Everyone participates. All right. You're fine. Hold up your head. There you go. Now you hold it for the rest of the service and let's see how well you guys do. Keep it up. All right. And so Moses' job was to hold it up. And as long as it was holding up, as long as he was praying, Israel was wearing the battle. But it doesn't take long before those arms start getting tired. You say, but all I'm doing is holding up a Bible. Yep, and all he was doing was holding up a rod. And it was starting to get heavy. It takes work. And after a while, they would start drooping a little bit, start getting weak, start shaking a little bit. And he's praying and he's keeping them up. And they witnessed as something occurred that as long as his hands were up, they won. But when his hands started falling, they lost. You know what you see here? You see a taste of the ministry. You see a taste of what it's like to be a pastor. Moses was aware as long as he prayed for people, they got victory. But when he stopped praying, people perished. People died. People's spiritual battles are lost because of the lack of prayer. You understand all failures are prayer failures. All failures are prayer failures. And so when the man of God is failing to pray, when the man of God is getting too tired and the prayers aren't getting out, people's spiritual lives are affected. You guys have been very patient. Most of you who are in there, you go ahead and put them down. But you just got a taste of it. Do you know how long he held his arms up? 12 hours. 12 hours. An 80-year-old man holding up this rod. And he was strong for a while. But he started to realize this was hard. And his arms would begin to droop. And you could see the battle begin to swear on the, swerve on the other side. And he would hold it back up. This is important. I've got to keep him up. And he would try to keep him up. And the battle would sway the other side. But as much as will of force he may have, the strength would fail. But can you imagine his broken heart? Knowing that if he drops his arms, knowing if he failed, his people that he's 
supposed to shepherd over, perish. Imagine that weight. You get a tiny bit of the weight of pastoring to realize that people are in a spiritual battle and how important the prayers are. More than my counsel, more than a pastor trying to preach the Bible are the prayers. And that we understand all failures are prayer failures. Well, Moses could not physically keep up. And so what did they do? Verse 12. But Moses' hands were heavy. And they, who's the they? Aaron and her with them. Put a stone and put it under him. They said, here you go, preacher. Here's a stone. This way you don't have to stand. That way you can have a little bit more strength. And then what they did is Aaron and her stayed up on his side. One holding up the other side. And the other one holding. And so these men, of, these men assisted the man of God. Now someone say, why didn't they just take the rod and do it themselves? That's a good question. Why not? Because it wasn't their job. Their job was not to be holding up the rod of God. Their job was to help the man of God do what God has given them to do. This is important. Because in a church, there's only two jobs. Only two. You're either pastoring a church or helping someone pastor. God has given a responsibility for a pastor. To care for the sheep, to to care for the flock, to shepherd them, to take care of them. And God didn't give it to anyone else. But that doesn't mean you just laugh at them and say, I hope, praying for you. But you can support and you can help. And realizing that how important it is for that prayer to go out. How important it is for God to win the battle. Moses is just representing here the prayers that go up. God's winning the battle, not Moses. But, it's de- but the prayers are important. The prayers are so important. And so what they did is they supported the man of God. They had an important job too. That they realized that for the man of God to do what God has given them to do, they had to stand beside and support and help. That they could lift up his arms. Moses still had the responsibility to hold the rod of God. But they assisted. They helped. Now, remember, Joshua still had an important job. He's out in the trenches. But it's won and lost based off of the prayers. This is the important job that's going on. And this is, again, lasting a long time. Twelve hours. That's a long time. You just held up your Bibles just for a couple minutes. And some of you could start feeling it. You could start feeling the the muscles saying, hey, we're not used to this position. You could start feeling the lactose start to go into the muscles and start to chemically change. Twelve hours. Sure, Aaron and her were probably uncomfortable for a while. But them supporting allowed Moses to last that entire battle time. An important job to help assist the man of God for what God has given him to do. It was won or lost based off of the prayer. Now, notice as it goes on and finishes up verse 12. And Moses' hands were heavy and they took a stone and put it under him. And he sat thereon. And Aaron and Hur stayed on his hands, 
stayed up on his hands, one on the one side and the other on the other side, and his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. Again, we estimate from morning to noon, or for evening, about 12 hours of this battle going on, with a fight going on. And Joshua discomforted Amalek and the people with the edge of the sword. So again, this is the first battle that the Hebrew people fought for themselves. Now, we know that God is fighting the battle, God is working, but they're actually physically engaged. They didn't physically engage in Pharaoh and his army at all. This is their first battle where they actually had to take action, and they had to do it. They had to depend on God. And, of course, the battle was won. And it was won based off of the man of God and the people supporting him, the prayers going up, and God winning the battle. Now, notice, if you don't mind, not only do we see the battle here, but I want to show you this. I want to show you the book. The book. The first thing here as we understand the book is, first of all, the word of God. Notice in verse 14. And the Lord said to Moses, write this for a memorial in a book and rehearse it in the ears of Joshua, for I will utterly put out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. So Moses was commanded to put, record this incident, put it in a book. Then he was to rehearse it or tell to Joshua, why? To remind Joshua that the victory wasn't his. You know how easy it would be for Joshua to go and say, guess what? I won that battle. And Moses would say, nope, let me tell you something. God won the battle. The, one of the most important parts of that battle was prayer. Don't forget it. You know how easy it is for us to think that we've got things handled? We finally get to the place where we almost have this uh, Christian life mastered. And so we go out door knocking without praying. And we wonder why things don't work. Oh, then we get the bright idea we're going to fix somebody. And so we go up there and get in their face and tell them what they're doing wrong. And we wonder why they're not responding well. Because it's not about us. Joshua had an important part is he had to obey. But prayer was the thing that won the battle. It was prayer. It was God that won the battle. We cannot leave God out. And we do it from time to time to time in our life. That we think that we handle this. We think that we have a good idea. We have the way to fix this. And we go without God's blessing. We go without prayer. And we wonder why it doesn't work. Joshua was human just like we were. And he needed the reminder, Joshua, it wasn't you. It was God. You were just obedient and God blessed it. The, the battle is won by God. And then it was rehearsed and put into a Bible. We have the record here. We could go back to it. We need the Bible because it ties us to God. To have it recorded down and look at what God has done before. To remind us. Aren't you so glad we don't have to live the Christian life without a Bible? Without any kind of record about who God is and what he can do? Aren't you glad that we don't have to try to explore it all by ourselves? But we have it recorded where God can tell us what he wants and how he works. Also with the book, not only do we have the concept of the Bible, the word of God being written, but there's another principle that we've brought up recently, the idea of having a prayer journal. You know what another reason to write this down was? Joshua, let's look and see this major answer to prayer. We prayed and God won the battle. Look at this. God answered prayer. To be able to have a prayer journal where you could go back and be reminded of what God has done. 
see the victories that have happened. To encourage us with all the answers to prayer that God has done within our life. I encourage everyone to have a prayer journal. Everyone to have some type of place where they write down their prayer request. Write down when they made the prayer request. Then have a space beside it when God answers it. And the date that it answered to go back and look. Look, God answered this prayer. And he answered this prayer. And he answered this prayer. You know what that does? It encourages you to pray more. When you realize, look at everything that God has answered. God answered these prayers. He can answer my next one. God is a prayer answering God. Which brings me to the last thing and the whole message of where we're going to. The banner. We started off with a battle. We talked about the book. And then we end up with the banner. Notice this, if you don't mind. In verse number 14, or verse number 15, And Moses built an altar. And Moses built an altar. An altar is a place where people come to respond to God. The men of God in the Bible always were sent to an altar after God worked in their life. Think about this. You have Noah. The first thing he did when he got off the ark was he built an altar. And again, an altar was just a place where people would come to respond to God. Abraham, when he dealt with God, he built an altar. Isaac, when he dealt with God, he built an altar. Again, there's nothing magical about the altar. It's just a representation, a physical representation place where we approach a God to talk to him, to be with him. Again, there's nothing magical, but there's something about responding to an altar. You see these men of God all throughout the Bible they would respond at an altar. There's just something about it. Again, nothing magical, but they just built a place where they could in their mind say, I'm meeting with God. This just sometimes we need that physical representation to approach to, to say, this is a place I'm dedicating. I am purposely, on purpose, meeting with God at. And they did that. So Moses, the first thing he did after this, he Record it in a book, and then he met, built an altar to personally respond to God. Thank you for answering this prayer. Thank you for meeting with us. Thank you for doing this. Thank you, God. What a great God. But then notice as he went on, and Moses built an altar and called the name of it, it, the altar. He called the name of the altar Jehovah Nisi. He is coming to this place and saying, God, I'm calling this Jehovah's my banner as a reminder that you're the banner that flies over us. You're the God who met with us. You're the God who won with us. Why? Verse number 16. For he said, because the Lord has sworn that the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. What he's realizing here is the battle with the Amalekites are not over. God had kind of told Moses, these are going to be your enemies and they're going to plague up from time to time and time again. How are we going to deal with these enemies? Realize that God is our banner. That God is our banner. Now what's a banner? A banner is a standard or a flag. Something that would fly over troops to represent what uh, side the people were on. We have a flag that flies for us, but before it used to be like a banner or a standard. That's what they used to call them to. It would be something that would wave just a physical representation of whose side you're on. And as long as you saw that banner waving, you would know that your side is still in the fight. That your side is still going on. 
In fact, even our, our um, national anthem, as long as it's our international anthem, the Star Spangled Banner was written with this idea. Francis Scott Key was a lawyer during the War of 1812. And during negotiations with the British, he was uh, placed inside of a British ship down in the bottom of the hold while a battle was raging between the uh, young American country, the United States, and England in the War of 1812 with the idea that England was hoping to regain these colonies. Well, Francis Scott Key, because he was in the bottom of the hold and he heard the battle raging outside, could not tell who was winning the war. He's inside of a British ship, and so he did, they didn't talk to the prisoner. They didn't talk to him at all. And finally, as morning came, they finally allowed him to get close, and he looked outside. And his great hope, there was the American flag. He was still waving. And as long as the American flag was still waving, he knew that America was still in the fight. That it was still hope that they hadn't lost. And because of that, the Star Spangled Banner was written with the idea the Star Spangled Banner, that's the standard, that's the flag. It was the representation that the country had not lost. The battle had not been lost. Now here, as it's talking about Jehovah Nissi, it's talking about God being our banner. It's our standard. And as long as you see that standard still waving, you know that God is going to win the battle. Because our God doesn't lose fights. As long as he has that banner, we know the victory is won. Notice what the Bible says about a banner. Notice with me in Psalm 60. We're going to explore a couple passages here. But Psalm 60. We want to see some of this thing. We know that God's banner over us. He's flying this banner. We know that he's got the victory. No matter who the enemy was. That Moses as he called this Jehovah Nisi. He understood that the battles with the Amalekites were far from over. But as long as God was on their side. He knew that victory was already part of the Lord. They could trust God. Notice with me in Psalm 60. And notice with me in verse 4. Psalm 60 in verse 4. Thou hast given them, or thou hast given a banner to them that fear thee, that it may be displayed because of the truth. You know what God does? God gives us a banner because of their faith, and it's there because of truth. We know that our God is steepled in truth, He is grounded in truth, He is the truth. And as long as God is flying this banner, as long as we know that the truth is there, we can trust God. That God being our banner, that means we can trust Him because He is the truth. We can depend upon Him by faith that the banner displays because of the faith of the people. Thou hast given a banner to them that fear thee, that it may be displayed because of the truth. Notice in the Song of Solomon, if you're in... Uh, Psalm right now, it's Psalm, Proverbs, Song of Solomon. Song of Solomon in chapter number 2. The Song of Songs. Song of Solomon, chapter 2. And notice with me, if you don't mind, in chapter 2 and in verse number 4. This is um, (laughs) the bride who is dreaming about her shepherd boy who's going to come and visit her one day. I'll have to go over to the Song of Songs with you one time. It's going to be an amazing thing. But here we have the, um, the bride who's dreaming about her shepherd boy. And how does she describe him in verse 4? 
He brought me to the uh, banquet house and his banner over me was love. Now, of course, we know the Song of Solomon is also a picture of Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ is our groom and that he's coming back for us. And guess what? His banner over me is love. Oh, this is what this young lady was thinking about. I know my shepherd is coming back for me because he loves me. Isn't that a great hope that we have? We know that Jesus is coming back for us because he loves us. He's not going to leave us in this stinking world. He's coming back to give us victory because of his love. You know, when you have the love of God and you realize the love of God, it gives you hope. It gives you encouragement. It gives you faith. The Bible says so much about the love of God and how the love of God ties us to this victory. You know, you'll have some people who get boo-hooed about the Christian life and nothing ever good's ever going to happen to me. Well, they're not thinking about the love of God. The love of God requires that God is going to take care of us. It requires that God is going to answer prayer because he loves us. Because he loves us, he won't leave us discouraged. Because he loves us, he won't let us be, let, leave us defeated. We just have to depend upon his love. He's not going to abandon us. He's not going to quit. His banner over me is love. Oh, what a wonderful idea. In fact, notice the love of Christ towards Jerusalem that we can apply to ourselves in the gospel record of Matthew chapter 23. Now we're tying in the love of God now. When we have the love of God, we have everything nailed down. When we have the love of God and understand the love of God, you realize all that God wants to do for us. Now, in Matthew 23, we have Jesus Christ who's with his disciples and he's on a hilltop overlooking Uh, Jerusalem. He's looking down and he's weeping over Jerusalem because they've rejected him. But he says, you don't realize how much my love, how much I love you and how much I would have done for you if you just let me. Notice this illustration that he gives here in Matthew 23. And notice with me, if you don't mind, in verse number 37. Matthew 23 and verse 37. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them that are sent to thee. How often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathering her chickens under her wings, and you would not. He's brokenhearted over Jerusalem. He says, I've tried to show how much I've loved you time and time again. I sent prophets. I sent messengers. I sent them. And instead of listening to how much I love you, you killed them. You wouldn't listen to the messengers. You ignored them. When all I was trying to do was say how much I love you. And because I love you, I wanted to take care of you. Because I loved you, I wanted to bring you myself. Because I loved you, I had to warn you about some things. Notice this illustration he gives from a a farm. And I don't know how many of you were raised around chickens. But a mama hen has an instinctive thing to take care of her chicklets. And so... If you've ever watched chickens out in the rain, what happens is the chicklets don't have enough sense to get out of the rain themselves. So what the mother hen does is she holds out her wings 
And she puts a shadow over them. And all the little chicklets climb underneath her wings. And then as she walks, they stay dry. And Jesus said, this is what I wanted to do to you. I wanted to hold out my wings. And I wanted to hide you underneath the, shelter, the shadow of my wings. And I wanted to protect you. I wanted to show my love towards you and protect you and care for you. But you wouldn't have it. What we could see here is this idea of the banner. The idea that God wants to protect us. and He wants to care for us. He loves us that much. Just stay with me. Don't reject my love. I want to help you. I want to gather you together. I want to protect you. Because my banner over you is love. I love you. What a great love that God has. How great, how massive is this love that God has for us? Turn with me, if you don't mind, to the book of Romans, chapter 8. The book of Romans, chapter 8. Jesus, the Bible declares that his banner over me is love. And so what we're doing is just following the idea, what does this mean? What does it mean that God's banner over me is love? Well, we could see Jesus' brokenheartedness as he's looking over Jerusalem and he said, I would have done so much. I care for you. I wanted to protect you. Just like a hen trying to protect your chicklets. I would have protected you. But you wouldn't let me. I wanted to. I love you that much. I care for you. What does the Bible describe about the love of God? Notice with me in Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. And notice with me in verse number 35. Romans chapter 8 and verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Here it's starting off and it's going to describe more. But it says what can separate you? Who can separate you from the love of God? If you go through tribulation, does that mean that God doesn't love you anymore? God still loves you, even if you go through tribulation. What about distress? If you go through distress, does that mean that God doesn't love you anymore? No, that doesn't separate you. God still loves you, even if you go through distress. What about persecution? They are persecuting me. God still loves you. That doesn't separate you from the love of God. What about famine? I don't have enough to eat. God still loves you. It doesn't mean that God doesn't love you. God still loves you. That doesn't separate you from the love of God. Or nakedness, or peril, or sword. Verse 36, as it is written, for thy sake, we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Here we have this idea of the battlefield. Once again, this battlefield, just like it was in Exodus 17, this idea that Jesus is our banner, his love for us, even in the midst of the battle. That as long as Jesus Christ is our banner, as long as he's our standard, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Jehovah Nissi, his banner over me. And we know in Song of Solomon, his banner over me is love. He loves me. And as long as he loves me, even in the midst of the battle, we could expect victory. Because of his love 
for us. But it's not over yet. Verse number 38. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor <coughs> things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Here he says, let me tell you what the bounds of God's love is. He says, guess what? If you die, God still loves you. He says, if you live, as long as you're alive, God still loves you. He says, even if an angel try to do something, God still loves you. Or the principalities, the world system, God still loves you. They can't take away God's love. Nor the powers. Let me tell you, the presidents and the king, the governors cannot take away God's love from you. It says things present. Nothing that you will face today will take away God's love from you. Nor things to come. Nothing in the future you will ever face that will take away God's love from you. Nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God. Which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. What he did is he said, here, let me just tell you. I'll put a punctuation it doesn't matter depth, nor height, nor any other creature. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. It doesn't matter if it's things in the future or things you're facing now. It doesn't matter if it's principalities or powers. It doesn't matter if it's kings or governors. It doesn't matter if it's things that you face. It doesn't matter if it's death itself. Nothing will separate you from the love of God. You understand that God physically... Cannot love you anymore. And he refuses to love you any less. Isn't that a wonderful thing? There's nothing that can affect your love of God. Or the love of God towards you. You know what that even means? That means times that you're disobedient. And those times come. That doesn't affect God's love towards you. Now I'm saying that as an encouragement. Not as permission. But even if you have a bad day and you live for yourself and you mess everything up, God still loves you. And as long as God still loves you, we can have victory through Jesus Christ. Jehovah Nisi, our banner over me is love. That anything that we face in this world, God can give us victory because of his love through Jesus Christ. What a comforting thing. You know what most of us need to spend time on? We need to spend time on the love of God. So many questions that the world and our flesh put in our mind are answered with the love of God. But God, what about this? He says, do I love you? Yes. God, what about this situation? Do I love you? Yes. Then I've got it handled. Isn't that a comfort? Just to stay with the love of God. As long as God is loving you, He wants the best for you. I've never met a parent who says, You know what? I just hope my kid just wrecks his life. Why not? Because you always want the best for the one that you love. God wants His best for us. And He's willing to give us the victory no matter what we face. 
if we trust in Him. If we let Him fight the battle. It is God that gets the victory. Trust in Him. You may be going through a battle right now. It may be with family. It may be with physical health. It may be with your spiritual walk. It may be with an addiction. It may be with something else. But let me tell you, God can help you win the victory. He loves you that much. All you have to do is trust in Him. You're not fighting the battle by yourself, and you're not going out all by yourself. You let God fight your battle for you, and you just be obedient to what God's given you to do. God loves you that much. Isn't that a comfort? Now, I'm not saying everything turns out hunky-dory and roses. It was going through the list of persecution and sword. He still loves you even if those things happen. He's trying to erase that, that, that pity thing that we get. God doesn't love me no more because I didn't get my raise. We get to that place. I'm not talking about that everything's going to be peaches and flowers and sunshine and rainbows. I'm just saying no matter what you go through, God loves you. And he wants to give you victory. There are real battles that you have to go through. But you don't have to go through it alone. This is why he said, Moses, write it down in a book. I want you to remember. I want you to remind everyone else. Jehovah Nisi. The Lord is my banner. He's my flag. He's my standard. As long as he's waving, I know that he loves me. As long as he's still on the throne, I know he wants the best for me. What a great God that we have. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 920- Five three zero six three zero eight. Once again, that number is nine two zero five three zero six three zero eight. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.